Man, well, it's great to have you here with us, and uh, we are closing out the series today. We're in a series called Toxic, and uh, identifying that sin in our life that needs to go. We've been looking at different quadrants. There's actually four kind of mainline sin pieces that we need to be looking at in our own soul and checking and seeing what needs to go, man. Where, where does God need to do a work? And, and uh, so we looked at fear, and we've looked at despair, and those kind of spill off of unbelief, right? Like, I'm not sure God's got this. I'm not sure God can handle it, or I'm not sure God actually even cares, one or the other. And that falls us either into fear or despair. And then we jump up to the other side of the uh, circle, if you will, the heart and the heart of pride. Well, that spills into, I'm in charge, right? Self-rule. That was last week. And, and when we don't get our way in that moment, then we get angry and So the self-rule is that third section of the heart. And then the last one we're looking at today is foolishness. Foolishness, like just going after self-gratification and self-pleasure just because. And uh, it feels good in the moment, so I did. I just went after it, right? That's what we're going to look at today and make sure we understand that a little bit better and how we can hand that over to the Lord. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, starting in verse 13. Luke 12, starting in verse 13, we got the ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands, and if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? Just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you there, and jump with us to Luke 12, starting in verse 13. Still heard the pages turning, so I'll hang on. Luke 12, starting in verse 13. We're going to walk verse by verse through this, as we always do. So, first point, structured like all the other ones here, the poison, the poison, Pride that leads to living life greedily and selfishly. That's a poison. Pride that lives, leads to living life greedily and selfishly. You know, where we have to have more. We've tasted of something and it's not good enough to be where we are. We must have the more. Greedy and longing for the constant um, feel good and the adding to the feel good. And that's the poison, all right? So we'll start here in... Luke chapter 12, and uh, it starts in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, so this is to Jesus, uh, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so whenever we're reading Scripture and we don't know what the context is, we're often going to miss what's going on. And in fact, if we don't understand the context here, we really misunderstand uh, Christ's answer after it. So let's make sure we get what's happening here. Jump back to verse 1 of chapter 12. Look at verse 1. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. All right, that's the setup. Thousands and thousands of people, and they're trampling each other. That's how many there are. It's a bit unruly. It's many, many, many people all gathered together, and Christ is speaking to the whole of the crowd trying to communicate some things. Now we get to verse 8. Look at verses 8 through 12. This is a big deal here. And uh, Christ says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. 
And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should answer yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Okay, are you hearing the context? First of all, we're not going to answer all the little nuances and the tough details. There's some tough stuff in there to work through. And what does it mean, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit? And that we're not going to talk about that today. But note this, Christ is like, let's talk about eternity here. I'm just telling you, if you recognize, if you believe and confess in who the Son of God is in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, you will be honored in eternity. You will be remembered. I'm telling you, there is salvation and there is hope in remembering and recognizing who Jesus Christ is. That's what he's saying. And and then he gets to the Holy Spirit and he's like, listen, the Holy Spirit, he's out and he's sharing, he's convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. And the one who says, yeah, I don't care what the Holy Spirit has to say, I'm telling you, that's not a good spot to be in. And that's not saved. And he's talking about eternity here and the vastness and the import of all that's coming down and... Verse 13, someone in the crowd said, teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. Are you hearing it now? What a punk. He's completely distracted. Jesus goes on this huge uh, explanation of eternity, and this guy's like, hang on, hang on. I got my moment in just a second. There's the quiet. I'm going to ask, teacher, will you make him give me my stuff? Right? First of all, he's ignoring that there are thousands of people. And uh, yes, everybody's here to hear my issue about my inheritance, right? And uh, more than that, Christ is talking about eternity, and he switches it to the earthly, the stuff I can have. And, and uh, everybody say, that's a miss. It's a huge miss. And he doesn't understand what Christ is doing. Christ said to him, man... It's usually never good when Christ starts out that way, right? Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And uh, Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, this is not what Christ is saying. Everybody say not. This is not what Christ is saying. I can't handle that problem. That is not what Christ is saying, okay? This is not what Christ is saying. Again, everybody say not. This is not what Christ is saying. I have no authority in that area. And uh, he is the God of the universe. He is the creator of everything. He is a teacher above all teachers. He could handle this problem. This is what he's saying. Did you hear what I just said? What I was talking about before? Did you hear the whole eternity thing and the whole Holy Spirit and the Son of Man? And dude, That is not what I'm here to be talking about. I am here to be talking about that, and I will not be derailed with your question. Let's stay on task. And, uh, right? That's what Christ is saying. We've got a point here, and it's about eternity, and that's what I've come for. And you can get this issue resolved in a different way with man. All right? I'm here to resolve eternity with you. And uh, he said to them, Notice it now goes to the plural, so he's not addressing just the guy. Now he's addressing more than one. Either he's talking to the two brothers or he's talking to the thousands. I believe here it probably means he's turning to the thousands because he's now shifting back to the eternal talk. He's going back to communicating with the broader group. And he says, he said to them, take care and be on your guard 
against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, right? Two steps to protecting against foolishness, and Christ gives them right here. Take care and guard. Take care and be on your guard. Those are the two steps. And to take care, literally, if you look at the original language, it means perceive properly. See this. Some of your translations say watch, right? It means look out, man. Keep your eyes engaged. Take care. Be discerning, right? Think a little bit. Take care. And then the second part, be on your guard. Defend. Protect. Do not let this come into your heart and have an effect on you. Be able to identify it, call it out, and resist it. Uh, Guard, defend. So those are two steps that Christ gives very clearly, very carefully to manage foolishness. Take care and guard. And uh, don't forget that. They're going to come up again throughout this sermon here. Take care and guard. All covetousness is the thing you're guarding against. Uh, All covetousness. Uh, How much? Not just some. All. That's all possessions, all experiences, all feelings, all the things you wish you could have that you don't currently have and you're now coveting and longing for. Well, they have it. How come I can't have it? Right? And covetousness, where we begin to long for something that in this moment God's saying it's not for you to have. And uh, he's like, be careful. That covetousness will eat you alive. Take care. Guard against it. For life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And here, very specifically, the guy is struggling with property, money, stuff, things, earthly things that he can get his hand on and money to buy those things with. And uh, that's what he's being all about. He's like, be careful. This greed will eat you up. Be careful, this covetousness will eat you up. Be careful, this will turn to foolishness because you won't be watching and protecting your heart, right? So uh, there's a story, uh, it goes like this. Leo Tolstoy actually wrote one variation on the story, but there's several different ones out there. Here's one variation on the story. So there's a peasant, and he's living in this community. He owns a very small piece of property. He's able to garden with it. He does pretty well, actually. In fact, better than the other guys around him. He's able to produce a pretty good amount of of gardening vegetables and fruits off of just that little piece of of turf that he's got. And uh, he's kind of known for being a good gardener. And he's talking with his other peasant friends one day, and he's like, you know, if I could have had the amount of property that those guys have... I would be unbelievably wealthy. I would do so well. It's ridiculous what they have possession-wise. And if I had that, boy, could I have done something great. Not like them. One of the nobles happened to be standing right behind him and heard it and walked up knowing the greed that was running through his soul as he just wanted more and uh, said, hey, I got a deal for you. You give me your little piece of property and a thousand rubles, which wasn't too much. You give me the thousand rubles and your little piece of property, and I will give you every piece of property that you can set your foot on from sunrise to sunset. 
You set out at sunrise, and every single place you walk is yours. And you just have to get back here by sunset. And if you get back here by sunset, it's yours. Everything you've touched, yours. Deal? The guy's like, are you serious? He's like, I'm serious. Deal, man. I'm in. So the next morning at sunrise, he takes off. And can you imagine those first steps? You're like, mine, 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 everywhere you go, right? You get to the top of the first hill and you look out over this sea of gorgeous crop and you're like, mine, this is all mine. Look at what I'm getting. And as he continued to walk to the next hill and mine, and then he sees a lake down in the bottom. Of course, you need some water and runs down to the bottom and mine, and he's running across every, of course, you know where the story goes, right? He continues on and on to the point where all of a sudden he realizes sun is beginning to get pretty low and he better get turned around and get back. He is running with all he's got to get back by sunset and he doesn't make it. He doesn't make it. And he loses everything because in the chance of having more and being responsible for it, everything looked like the next wise step to take. I could have this, and I could have this, and I could have this, and his spirit was not in check. The noble rightly called him out. And uh, how often do we live life that way? Running hungrily and greedily for the next so that we can declare mine on it. And we're not interested in getting back, managing the whole, worshiping our God. It's just what can I get? What will feel good? What will look good? What will show me off? Those are the things of the world, 1 John 2. And, uh, and that's poison. When we uh, take things greedily and selfishly and we allow it to run amok in our lives without taking care and without guarding. So simple question, how are you doing? How are you doing with the greed? How are you doing with the wise walking throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your month, that you might make much of God as you enjoy what he's given you? Yes, but more than that, you're a good steward and you're trusting him and you're not coveting to have what you cannot have. Or maybe here's a better question. How are you doing at taking care, perceiving properly? How are you doing at guarding and defending against the greed? All right? That's the first step in the foolishness thing is the pride. It's, it's a greed. It's a hunger for more, for the feel good. Number two, the symptom. Striving for self-gratification through earthly possessions and experiences. The symptom, striving for self-gratification through earthly possessions and experiences. And, uh, Jesus continues to talk to him and says, and he told them a parable. Okay, now everybody knows what a parable is, right? This is a story, so it's not necessarily a true story. This is a story, and it's got a main point he's going after, right? And uh, this parable, he's trying to get after one main point. Maybe there's two, but it's, it's not an allegory where every single facet means something, but it's a story where there is a main point, all right? That's a parable here, and so here's the parable. Jesus has just gotten done. Remember now, don't forget our setting. It's all about eternity, right? Punk stands up. Well, what about my money? Can you help me with that? So Jesus is like, let me teach a little bit. He says, the land 
of a rich man produced plentifully. And, uh, imagine being the poor guy standing in the crowd listening to this. You're like, well, of course it does. Everything worked out for them, right? The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And uh, just so you know, when it says there, he thought to himself, in the original language, it literally is saying, he talked with himself, or maybe he even wrestled with himself. He battled with himself. Have you ever had those moments where you're trying to make a decision and you find yourself even talking out loud or walking around? You're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to figure this thing out. I mean, I could do this. I could do that. And then somebody walks by and they're like, are you talking to yourself? And you're like, uh, no, I'm on the phone. Right? And you're, he's talking to himself. He didn't even have a cell phone option as his excuse out. And uh, he's having his little battle with himself trying to figure out which way he should go and, and uh, what should I do? Uh, for I have nowhere to store my crops. Now please notice he says, I have nowhere to store my crops. And uh, so just so we know, I mean, with blessing comes responsibility, right? And we all better understand that. We always stand from the spot where we don't have something and look into the opportunity of having it, and we're like, it would just be so great to be over there. But I'm telling you, being over there brings more responsibility. And that's part of the fact of it. And he's now feeling the weight of that responsibility. Notice, though, he says, I have nowhere to store my crops. And, uh, but his next sentence, he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. Oh, wait, I guess I had somewhere to store my crops. I just didn't have enough space, right? And sometimes when we're in the middle of our problem, we make our problem seem bigger than it is, right? And be careful. We just talked about despair a few weeks back. That can definitely lead you there when you overblow the problem. He was definitely in a moment of beginning to overblow it. He said, though, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grains and my goods, so he's going to build something big enough to store the crops that he's been blessed by God to be able to reap. And uh, is that a wise decision? The answer is yes. There's nothing wrong with being a good steward, man. And so he's got some crops coming and he needs a place to store and he's going wisely after storing them. Nothing wrong so far. And uh, we're seeing little inklings of it in the way he's talking, but nothing wrong so far. He said, and I will say to my soul, soul? I love that part. <laughs> I mean, you got to admit you talk to yourself, man, right? Do, we do understand that, right? The person who talks to you most throughout the day is yourself. You hear yourself all day long. And uh, that's partly why Paul says, hey, think on these things, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise, right? He's like, man, there's a lot of self-talk going on there. Make sure it's on the right stuff. And if you focus on the wrong stuff and 99% of the talk into your ear is actually sad, sorrowful, remorseful, lamenting, covetous talk, it'll eat you up. And uh, be careful of the talk that you have. And this guy's like, I can't wait because I've been blessed with this. And when I build this, then I will say to my soul, soul, right? And uh, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. And just so you know, the word ample and the word many are actually the same word in the original language there. And uh, you have many goods laid up for many years. He's basically saying, I got enough to survive all by myself. Now you're starting to see the problem. 
right? I'll be good all by myself on this one. The self-talk is starting to go down as, I've got this. It'll be wonderful what I've done. I, the word I can be a dangerous word, right? And um, notice what his solution is after it. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Now he puts himself in the command form. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Have you ever talked to yourself in the command form? Knock it off. What are you thinking? Stop that. Just relax. I just got to take a break here. Right? That's what he's doing. He's having a moment with himself, and he goes to the command form. And his command is, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now we've got a problem. Where's the worship? Where's the celebration? Where's the thanksgiving? There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking and being merry. He's uh, satisfied in what God has given him and the graciousness of God being benevolent to him, but it should have said, relax, eat, drink, be merry, worship, be thankful, celebrate back to your God. Are you hearing it? Where's the God facet to this thing? Where's the eternity in this thing? It's become nothing but the temporal, nothing but him, and he's providing for himself. Everybody say, that's a problem. That's a problem, man. That'll lead to the foolishness outright. God said to him, fool. That's a bad moment. May we never be in that moment where God is saying the word fool to us. And just so you know, this word in the original language, it's literally built out of two words. The first word says without, and the second word is understanding. That's the word fool. Without understanding. That was the title. He actually addressed him and he's like, hey, without understanding, get over here, right? He's known by his lack of getting it, fool. And uh, that's the statement here. And uh, we'll go on in what he says in just a moment, but let's talk about this fool thing for just a, a piece here. This is a rough name. And uh, it's a definition for somebody that doesn't get it. They don't see it. In fact, Usually they're just running after self and what's self-gratifying or self-pleasuring, and that's why they don't get it. They're not interested in how it works. They're interested in what feels good, and so they're going after that. And uh, the battle cry here, if it feels good, right? We've seen that bumper sticker. If it feels good, do it. And uh, that's what they're running after here, okay? And uh, just a couple of notes. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, that's the acts of the flesh. Often it's the same list as what you'll see in foolishness. Galatians 5, uh, 19 through 21. The acts of the flesh align with foolishness. Why? Because foolishness is driven by feelings and so is the flesh. Just driven by self and what feels good. Earthly wisdom in James 3.15. It has a similar description as sensual, pleasurable, devilish. Right? And... Uh, so that earthly wisdom, that fleshly element, those are very similar to the fool thing. I learned a lot this week as I looked into foolishness. So I just wanted to share this with you. There are actually five different words in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, like when you look through Proverbs, five different words that come up with being translated across as the word fool, okay? Really, it's almost five different levels of fool, if you will, Okay? So here's the five levels of fool. Are you ready? Number one, the simple, 
the simple. This is the one who just fails to see cause and effect. Okay, the simple. They fail to see cause and effect. It's a discernment problem. All right. As they look out and they look at what goes on in life, they don't necessarily see that if they step into this, something bad will happen. All right? And uh, the fool, the simple. In fact, a couple places where this is used, Proverbs chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 21. Proverbs 7, verses 7 through 21 is the simple. And uh, just so you know, this is the spot where the guy ends up in an adulterous affair. Right? This is going off into a sexual mistake But here's what got him there. Not this passionate, sensual desire where he knows it's wrong and he's just going to go after it. No, he was simple. He didn't recognize that walking down that street and listening to that voice was going to get him into trouble. He didn't see the problem ahead of him. Okay, simple. And uh, the other one, Proverbs 22.3. He did not perceive danger and stop. Proverbs 22.3. So that's the simple. You just aren't perceiving danger. Okay, you're not walking along and going, whoa, don't go down that street. That's a bad moment down there, right? And the simple guy's like, where? I don't see any problem. And then they get hit with it, right? Simple, missing the point and the problem along the way. Here's the second one. Um, Silly. Silly is a word that's used here. Um, Another word you could use is quarrelsome. The silly person or the quarrelsome person. They're resistant to instruction. It doesn't make sense in the end. You know they have authority. You know they know what they're talking about, but you won't listen because there's some pridefulness in being able to stand alone. The silly. And a quarrelsome or resistant to instruction. Okay? And this word in the Hebrew, uh, we see it in Proverbs 12, 16. Proverbs 12, 16, it says he's quick-tempered here. He just goes off the handle. If you prove him wrong, he freaks out. Quick-tempered, okay? 14.3, uh, Proverbs 14.3. This is where he's bragging. He's just proud in his speech. You wouldn't believe how awesome I am. Let me tell you what I've accomplished this week. And uh, proud in his speech. Proverbs 15.5, uh, despises parents' discipline. Uh, the silly is an advanced level of struggle in the foolishness. And they will not listen to those who know what they're talking about, and that would include those in authority over you. So that would definitely include parental struggles, all right? And uh, so the simple is like, I don't know, I didn't see it. The silly is like, yeah, I heard you say it, and I don't want you talking to me, I'm resisting you. Okay, that's the difference. All right, now let's move to the third one. And uh, this one is sensual. Yes, they all begin with an S. All right. So this one is sensual. And uh, maybe a good way to describe this, overindulgent. Overindulgent. And uh, there's a ton of verses on this. I'll just read them off quickly. Uh, this one you see a lot throughout Proverbs. Proverbs 1.22, they hate knowledge. This is where they're not just resistant. They really don't care to know. They just want to do what they want to do. They want to do what feels good. They hate knowledge. 913, uh, they're seductive towards others. This is the description of the, um, the uh, prostitute calling one away. And the woman who is called folly, she is called this version of folly, sensual. She is celebrating it and she's calling others to it, seductive. 
You are a train wreck and you're willing to drag others down into it. You know it's wrong. You know it feels good in the moment and you know it'll be a train wreck after and you still call others to be with you in it. Okay, this is the sensual fool. This is a dangerous fool. In fact, Scripture's pretty clear. It says stay away from this fool. Uh, 10.23, Proverbs 10.23, they think that doing wrong is a joke. They laugh about it and they laugh when others do wrong. Okay, how often do we see this in our high schools? And in our colleges, right, kids, hear me, the level of fool for one of your friends who laughs at what's wrong, that is not cool, that is fool. They were close, they missed one letter, right? And uh, Proverbs 13, 19, they love evil simply for gratification. This is the sexual, the um, eating, the drinking, they just love it for its gratification. 14, 8, they deceive Just so you know, the fool does recognize after they've done what they've done wrong, that it's wrong. And then they lament it, not in a godly sorrow way, but in a worldly sorrow way. They wish they weren't in this problem. And they don't want to admit to others that they were foolish because it's driven by pride. So now they start to lie and deceive. I didn't do that. Somebody else did that. They begin to try to hide it and deceive against it because they recognize it's wrong. But it's only after the fact, not before the fact that they get into the mode of recognizing they shouldn't be there, okay? And uh, this one especially, deceiving. Proverbs 18.2, they take no pleasure in understanding. In the same verse, Proverbs 18.2, they take pleasure in revealing their own mind. Have you ever been to a party with that guy? Right? And as you talk and you're like telling the best story you've ever told in your life, and as soon as you're done, they're like, that's nothing, I got a better one, and then they go off on their own story. And they cut you off, and here's what I know. And you're like, well... I actually have a PhD in that. I've got an actual doctorate from that. I studied that. And they're like, but I know more, right? It's that kind of guy. Like, I don't care how much you've studied. I know more and I want to share what I know. And I don't care that your position disagrees with my position. I'm right. And uh, let me share with you what I know. And uh, they tend to always have a unique position. They're always striving for the unique voice. So they'll have that unique position. And you're always kind of going like this. What? Like, you'll find yourself with that look when you're hearing from him. What? Where are you going? This is that guy, okay? And uh, a pleasure in revealing their own mind. Proverbs 19.1, foul language. Did you know that? The sensual guy is the guy who loses his temper and blows his stack and says perverse things. That's what this passage says. Proverbs 19.1. And then the last one is Proverbs 20, verse 1. Uh, Excessive alcohol or drugs... There it says wine and beer, but it's talking about using some kind of anesthetizing or inebriating, uh, affecting your discernment kind of thing, okay? So you get into the overindulgent, the overeating, the overdrinking, the over um, drug element, like that could even be misuse of pain meds. You're doing something just because it feels good. This is the sensual fool, okay? And uh, in fact, just so you know, this is how serious... Um, Scripture is about that in the sensual and the scoffing. They're kind of equated. So let's just go to the fourth one first. The scoffing. This is the fourth guy. The fourth level of fool. They mock authority. Scoffing. They don't just resist authority. They mock authority. Okay, this is the guy now who doesn't just go, yeah, I don't want to hear it. They go, I don't want to hear it. What a ding dong. You should never listen to that guy. Do you know what they did? And now you try to villainize the person you were just hearing from. 
right? You scoff at them, you mock them. And uh, you see this in Psalm chapter 1, this is the rebellious or defiant. Uh, you see this in Proverbs 13, 1, they refuse to listen to a rebuke. In fact, Scripture says, ready? Take a rod to the back of the scoffer and you will train the simple. Did you hear that? Take a rod to the back of the scoffer and you're basically just disciplining them. But the simple's over here and they're like, I don't see it. And they're like, ooh, that was kind of bad. Right? The simple starts learning, okay, but the scoffer doesn't. And there's a hardcore aggressiveness to treating in the midst of that. And, uh, and then the last one here is the steadfast. This is the one we would never, ever, 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 ever want to be found in. The steadfast fool. This is the one that says there is no God. They declaratively stand against God. They resist him outright at every level. Atheist, if you want to use that word. They are against God in his presence. The end. Okay? This is a hardcore, dark, standing against God person. And uh, so those are the five. All right? Simple and silly and sensual and scoffing and steadfast. And all of these kind of get brought together under the one word, fool. And some of your translations, they'll use a word like scoffer. Um, uh, like that. Some of them don't. Some of them will just use fool in all those places. And uh, if you look at how it was translated over into the Greek, right, what would be called the Septuagint, always use the word fool there. And uh, so it's interesting. These are the five elements. If you wrestle with this, try to figure out which level you're at, all right? Now, hear me. Fools often have a problem discerning, and so be careful as you try to figure this out. You may want to ask someone else, hey, what level do you see me at? Right? Where do you see me in this whole thing? And you might want to ask for someone else's opinion. And then when they give you the opinion, don't be the guy that's like, yeah, I don't want to hear it. Right? Now you're like, I really need to hear this. So pick someone you want to hear from and be able to get a little bit of counsel and advice on it. And if you see yourself in any of this, be careful, man. This can eat you alive. Um, let's do this. Fruit to root. Let's flip over to that in the diagram. Fruit to root, page 66. All right. So remember, the fruit is what's showing on the top of the tree. It's what grows because of what's down at the trunk and in the root. And so in the fruit now, we see deceiving and lying. The fool gets caught doing what's wrong doesn't like the end results, and so begins to spin the web, the deceiving and lying. The, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't there. I didn't do that. Somebody else did that. I don't know how it got that way. I don't know why that happened. They never told me that that's what was going to happen when, right, the deceiving and the lying, trying to twist it so that we look more smart than we are. And uh, joking and distracting. And uh, so I want to be really careful on this. Sense of humor is awesome. All right? And laugh. Have fun laughing. Okay? It's great to laugh in life. But if your entirety of life is meant to be a mask or a distraction away from the bigger issue or problem so that you don't have to address it, then we've got an issue with the humor. It's being used as something to try to get away from dealing with the actual problem. And that can be foolish. Okay, and so that's what's going on here, this constant joking, this heavy distractionary joking where I won't deal with what's actually going on. And uh, if you're the guy that always has to crack the joke, always has to, notice those words, you're not just love to laugh, but those things like 
You have to, you can't just get into a heavier talk. Be careful, man. There might be something being indicated to you in that, all right? And uh, insensitive. You know, the fool is like not careful at all with what they say, right? And so they just cap off. And you say something, and after it's off the lips, you're like, no, right? That kind of moment. And uh, the fool doesn't think first and then speak. The fool speaks and then maybe thinks about it, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not at all. Maybe you just let it go, right? And insensitive, immature would be the similar there, right? Self-control is a big deal. And uh, that counters the fool. Take care and guard. That's not the step, right? That's not what's going on here. Attention-seeking or over-emotional. Attention-seeking, attention-gathering. Uh, you'll find the personality that falls into foolishness a lot is the big, boisterous personality, the one that loves to step up, show off, have a blast, rally people to the laughter and the fun. They'll also tend to always be going after what looks good, what feels good, what shows me off. Okay, that's what we see going on here. One other word I write underneath that, just write overindulgent overindulgent. We talked about it as one of the levels. That's the sensual fool. But I think it's really wise that you have that written down under fruit. You will see that as too much like overeating, overdrinking, overuse of drugs, overuse of humor, overuse of over, over, over. Okay? The overindulgent. That's getting into fool. All right? The trunk. A selfishness, a blame shifting. There's obsessive thoughts, fantasizing, just living in another world, man. Where do they live? How did they come up with that? Why did they do that? Because they live in another world. That's what's going on. They enjoy their fantasy world. I'm a troublemaker. I can't help it. Have you ever heard that phrase? I can't help it. And uh, yeah, yeah, yes, you can. You can. You don't want to help it. I get that. But you can. And uh, the root, uh, pleasure, attention, greed. That's what's at the core. Okay? This is foolishness expressed, okay? Huge deal. So the best example of foolishness that I can come up with. There were a lot of different examples. Um, I don't use sports analogies very often, just because you never know how that's going to land in the broader community, but today we're going to use a sports analogy. Thursday night football. Green Bay Packers, Detroit Lions. Yeah. I don't like the Lions, and I don't root for the Lions, but I'm not a Packers fan either, and so I was kind of rooting for the Lions. I was happy that they were just doing well, for crying out loud. They're winning the game, the majority of the game. This is how it all goes down. So they're winning all the way up to the last six seconds. Six seconds. They literally, Green Bay has to get it like 60-some yards, whatever it is, 70 yards, and score a touchdown, or they lose. They have to score a touchdown, and there's six seconds. So all you got to do is stop them somewhere. In 70 yards. You've done it the whole game, right? Just do it for one more play. So the pass comes off to the side. You get it about 30, 40 yards. And now the guy turns around and throws a lateral back to Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback. He catches it, and there's nobody behind him. It's just him. That's it, man. He can't lateral anywhere. Just get that boy down or out of bounds, and this game is over, right? And so as he's running and they're coming up to him and they're about ready to get him down and you can see he's almost starting to go to a knee and the defensive lineman is the guy who's about ready to tackle him who's been trying to get at him all game long, right? And so he's kind of like, yeah, baby! It starts welling up in him. This is going to feel so good! And so as he gets over him, he goes, ah! And he overshoves him and his thumb 
hits the face mask and starts to turn his head just a little bit. And I will say, it seemed like an aggressive flag to me a little bit. It slightly turned his head. Either that or, or Aaron Rodgers has a very weak neck, which I'm okay to. I don't know. Whatever. But as it touched, touched his face mask and his head turned sideways, flag goes off. And I'm like, no! He drops to the ground. Clock goes 0-0. Game over. You cannot end a football game on a defensive penalty. So one more free play. So they get back up. Everybody gets set. Aaron Rodgers gets the ball in a snap. My daughter Alyssa is sitting next to me. And she goes, I don't get it. It says 0-0. How are they doing this play? And I'm like, you can't end on a defensive penalty. They get a free play now. They get to do whatever they want. So he runs to the side. And he chucks the ball as hard as he can. Everybody's running for the end zone. And a Green Bay Packer jumps in the air, catches it, lands into the end zone. By the way, his name was Rodgers as well. So it was Rodgers to Rodgers. And he scores a touchdown, and they win the game. They won the game because a guy who was standing over him didn't just say, he's going down, touch, game over, right? He didn't do that. He had to try to say, I want the feel good, and I go in there, and I'm, yeah, and I, and so this is him after the game. <laughs> and he's just walking around holding his head, dumbfounded at what's just happened. That's what happens with foolishness. In the moment, it makes so much sense. And after the fact, your hands are on your head and you can't believe what you've done. And so then you start saying things. Like, I never touched his face mask. Dude, we have cameras all over the place on this field. <laughs> you did. At what level, we can argue, but you did. And his neck did turn and it's the way it is. Foolishness. The symptom is that we, in the moment, bust out and go after a feel-good, self-gratifying moment. It may be from the very simple of we couldn't even discern it. It may be all the way up into the sensual and the scoffing. We resist. We refuse. I don't care what the rules are. I'll do what I want to do. But whatever you're doing, it's a feel-good, expressive moment that you will just take to yourself. You will regret that. It has massive penalty on the back end. Question. So are you struggling with that self-gratifying expression, the break out against all sound judgment, the do what I want to do problem? Are you getting the feel good and ending up on the backside trying to figure out how to get out of it on a repeated basis? That's the question. Lord, help us. May we not be in that. Here's the good news. We serve a God who is known as wise. And all of God's people said, Amen. we serve a God who is known as healer. And we serve a God who can fix and address our souls. Okay? So let's look at the last step. Number three. The prescription. The prescription. So, encounter my fully sufficient God of joy, find satisfaction in my king, not in me being king. Encounter my fully sufficient God of joy, find satisfaction in my king, not in me being king. Okay? Notice the shift in your worship. The shift has gone away from me and my feel-good moment, and it has gone on 
to God and who he is and how awesome he is. That's the prescription. Notice it says here uh, at the end here in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Two parts to being a fool. You're going after working hard in this world and being a steward. And number two, you couldn't care less about God in the moment. You're doing your own thing. Those are the two pieces that he's got here. And uh, he's like, be careful. The fool, well, he's laying up treasure for himself and he's not thinking at all about being rich toward God. How do I be rich toward God? I just put these words down. Number one, uh, enrich towards God. You entrust the physical to him. Look, man, the stuff we've got, we're just managers, and God's putting it on loan to us, and, and we're entrusting it back to him. That's what our giving back to him as we do the offerings, right? As we do a first fruits giving back, we're like, thank you, Lord, for what you're giving to me. I'm giving back to you. You're awesome, and we entrust the physical. Lord, whatever you give, whatever you share is great, and I want to make sure I'm sharing with you. We entrust the physical to him, and then number two is we entrust the spiritual, and this is what was missing gravely in the example or the parable that Christ gave. And uh, as he talked to himself and he said, soul, and the command he gave, the commands were all about this physical world and physical relaxation and, uh, and trusting spiritually. I just put these words under it. You will worship your God and you will cry out for wisdom. James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally, and he does not withhold, and he will give it. Cry out for wisdom. James 1.5. God's got a plan for this thing. We serve the one who knows everything, and to serve the God who can do anything. So as we cry out to him and say, Lord, please work in my life. Lord, I long to know the wisdom that you have. Share with me, not so that others think I'm awesome. Everybody say, not that. Not to show me off, but to make sure that I'm living for you in the greatest way possible. Wisdom for your glory. Praise be to God. And I'm telling you, God lavishes it on as we cry out to him and ask for him and from him, he does a huge and amazing work. That is what it looks like to work with wisdom and work against foolishness. Lord, help me find my satisfaction in you. Lord, reveal to me. And so we've got a couple of steps I just wanted to talk through. Let's turn backward to the unrestored heart in your book here, just a couple pages back. The unrestored um, of foolishness. It's on page 62. All right. So notice here, it says pride, right? On page 62. Pride is at the source, right? Pride is like, I am awesome, right? So pride bleeds out into folly. Like I begin to look around for those things that are Silly, they don't even make sense. I'm just gonna go after them even though God's got rules and boundaries against, even though the consequences could be high. That's what folly is. Why would I do it? Strictly self-pleasure. Feels good. That's what it's about. And uh, so I go after the self-pleasure. Why? Because God isn't enough. And, uh, that's a big mistake. 
saying, God is not enough. I will not get enough in him. I better go get it on my own. Man, that's when we go down the wrong path, okay? And that's called foolishness. And let's just distinguish the difference now. Think of this. Foolishness is because it feels good. That's why, right? Okay, self-rule. Because I said it's right. That's why. Are you hearing the difference? Self-rule goes after something saying, I make up the rules around here and that's the way to go. Foolishness is like, I don't care if it's the right way to go or not. It just feels good, so I'm going there. Are you hearing the difference? Self-rule. I am redefining right and wrong according to my judgment. Foolishness. I don't care what the judgment is. I'm going to go after it and taste of it and just feel it, and that's the end of it. Foolishness. Okay? That's a big distinction as we work through pride and which guy am I? Do you find yourself trying to redefine right and wrong? Or do you find yourself just going after the self-pleasure? Okay? Huge deal. Now let's jump over to the restored heart side. Humility. Humility is the fix for pride as we humble ourselves before a mighty God and let him lead. It leads to wisdom from God. If you don't have it, pray for it. James 1, 5, right? Long for it. And uh, God's sufficiency Like, he is good enough. He is awesome. All we need is my God, and God is enough, and satisfaction in him. This is the heart fully on fire for him. And again, we always say this, right? We do not move from this heart to this heart by saying, I'm going to do this. Right? That doesn't get it done. Everybody say it doesn't get it done. That's muscling it, and we're not going after muscling it. So how do we get after this? It's God making the change in me. So we turn back over now to uh, the encounter, exalt, engage. That's back on page 67. Encounter. We need to meet the God who is in charge, and we need to meet the God who is fully sufficient. And that's what we have here. He's in charge of all. He is wise beyond all measure, and the Spirit shares that out. He gives wisdom generously. There is hope for the healing of our missing the main thing, our missing of it and being foolish. God can heal that. He can shape that. And, um, man, the less the foolishness has gripped you, right, there are five stages to foolishness. The lower you are in that tier and the simple and the silly, the easier it is to get some healing. The heavier that has you gripped, the harder of a grip it's going to be to break. And God's got some big healing work to do there, all right? And uh, his ways are above my ways, and God provides in amazing ways. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God provides in amazing ways? Really think about it. Do you believe it? Or are you like, they're amazing, but my ways are more amazing. I wish he'd listen to me sometimes. I know what I'm talking about. That would be way better. Why? Almost always we'll bring it down to it would feel better. I wouldn't feel so, right? Be careful. God knows exactly what he's doing as he's shaping us and changing our hearts all for his glory. And all of God's people said, And uh, may we find him fully satisfying, exalting. That's when we come before him. We thank him and we praise him. We lean on him. We trust in him. His timing, his way. He knows what he's doing. We will not break out against all sound judgment. We hang under and we trust our God and we watch him work. And as we worship him and praise him in that, God begins to do a huge thing in our hearts, engage. And that's when we finally step out in cooperation. All right? Parents, 
If you are parenting a child struggling with discipline or with foolishness, I just want to say this. Uh, Proverbs is replete with advice and counsel, okay? But I will say this. Proverbs does say, foolishness is locked up in the heart of a child, and discipline brings it out, okay? There is some level of permissive parenting causing foolishness to remain with someone into their adulthood. Please do not lay off of your job as a parent, okay? Shaping gently, lovingly, but not ever, ever, ever losing the battle of this needs to be done, guys. Come on, right? We need to make sure we are not the permissive parent, but we lean in and we call our kids to what is right. And as you do over time, because we're really taking the simple heart, that's the foolishness that's there, the simple heart, they don't get it all, and you're helping them get it. And uh, dads, you play a huge role here, right? As your role is to shape their view of God the Father and his wisdom, you're shaping it, and you're like, that's bad news, because I don't have a lot of it. I'm kind of foolish myself, and then you need to get on that. And in a very humble, very quick way, calling God out as a, Lord, please help me, please replace this in me, help me be able to shape the souls of my children, all right? Parenting, it's a huge call, okay? That said, let's just do this. As we close out this whole series, let's just go back to uh, the unrestored heart overall. I think it's page 12. Yeah, page 12. Please look at all of these, and let's gather them together. As we go back over this, right? Take a look. You see the fear that's rallying on self-protection, right? Just so you know, in the week that we preached on fear, I got probably close to 100 emails of people wrestling with things and going after things. The fearful person is loving help and loving people coming alongside, and there will be tears, and they will be willing to get it. And uh, if you're struggling in those fears, like, we love you, and we want to work with you, okay? And let's keep going after that. And uh, we've got a great pastoral counseling staff here. Fear. It is self-protection at its core. And it's built off of the, I'm not sure God's able. Okay? The next one, though, look at despair. Despair is, woe is me. I don't know what God's doing and I don't know why he's doing it. And the best hope I've got is everybody come to my pity party. Come over and tell me how bad this thing is. And just so you know, despair is a lot of tears. And we see that in the preacher. We saw a lot of tears in this body. But at the end, despair goes away quietly and hurts alone. Um, it's probably the worst thing for you. So please hear me. If you're wrestling with despair, do come. Do talk to someone, whether it be an impact group leader or a friend or a pastor or a counselor here. Get some assist, all right? Despair, it can be a train wreck. And that self-pity, while it feels good, does not get to the problem at all. Please don't camp there. Get some healing on that and start to trust in our God who loves us. Now you go up to the upper side, anger, which is really self-rule. Most of us are like, I'm not an angry person. I don't burst out all the time. But how often are you trying to define what's right and wrong? Trying to take away from God or others and say, this is what's right. Or I speak against rulers or authorities. My, my boss is such a ding-dong. My parents don't know. My, right? Be careful. If that's you, that's self-rule. And uh, just so you know, in the anger sermon, I got no emails and nobody came up. Right? And, uh, all right. and so, and then foolishness, uh, self-pleasure and God isn't enough. I'm going after it just because it feels good. I don't care what the rules are. It feels good. I did it. That's the end of it, right? Flag gets thrown afterwards. 
I lament then. Foolishness. Okay? That's the four hearts of sin. Now let's go to the fix real fast. Just flip over to the next one. It's the other side of your book here. The restored heart. Look at the words on the outside. God is able. Trust him. God is loving. Hope in him. God is fully in charge. Surrender to him. God is enough. Be satisfied in him. That's the restored heart. Lord, help us to head towards being restored in you. May we honor you and lift you up. May you be supported in the midst of our soul worshiping you. Lord, may you be made much of. And all of God's people said, that's where we're headed coming out of the series, all right? Let's just go to prayer here. Heavenly Father, we seek for you to restore. Lord, take control of our hearts. What needs to change? Maybe it's fear and maybe it's despair. and Maybe it's self-rule and anger. Or maybe it's just self-gratification and foolishness. Lord, help us to know what we need to hand over to you right now. And just let God press in. What are you going after as you walk out? Which quadrant is seemingly your main quadrant, the one you are wrestling with? Lord, I want to hand this to you. Just let them know. Lord, I'm handing it to you. Maybe you're not even sure. It's like, Lord, I don't even know what I'm handing to you. I just want to hear what needs to change. Please heal. I'm ready to trust you. Lord, hear our cry. We are your body. We are your church. We are called out for you and for your glory. Restore our souls. Lord, revive our hearts. Renew our lives that you might get all the praise and the honor and the glory. May this be all about you. May we lift you up. May we celebrate you. May we make much of your name as you begin to do a restoring work in our lives. It is in your mighty and powerful name I pray these things. And all of God's people said, amen.